Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Two weeks have gone by since our last episode, Alex Baisley. We, I think we recorded two weeks ago to the day. Uh, I'll fall on the sword for that one. I was away on vacation last week with literally no internet reception, so I couldn't record even if I wanted to, and I didn't want to. So uh, this one's on me. However, in the interim, the baseball world has fallen apart. Alex, I came back to Los Angeles. I was watching the Home Run Derby last night. I was having a great time. And all of a sudden, I see gun girl, Caitlin Bennett, tweeting out photos of herself in a Mets jersey. This is the, the havoc we wreak by not doing a podcast for two weeks. I, I feel so bad for the world that we've created. Are we even surprised at this point? <laughs> like, isn't this the most logical conclusion of, like, Mets fandom? Like, any other, any other week, I, I think that this would, have, uh, this would have maybe blown up Mets Twitter. But it's just a it's just a footnote that the Kent State gun girl who like <laughs> I was gonna call her just bet- gun girl, but I figured I'd put a name in there because I don't know if enough people know gun girl. But then again, yeah, I, I thought maybe say, is- more people would know her by gun girl than Caitlin Bennett. Is that like is this just limited to extremely online people? I don't like, know. We'll find like, out. I- <laughs> Mom, do you know gun like, girl? All she does all she does is tweet. That's just all she's famous for. Is just going places and holding up a gun and taking pictures of it. So <laughs> I'm glad she's ma- managed to make a career out of this. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't really know if the wider public knows Gun Girl. I think it is actually just an online thing. It's either an online thing or you watch Fox News, one or the other. Yeah, well, the universe manages to blend Mets, the misery of Mets fandom with, uh, with every aspect of the real world. So uh, so kudos to whoever was pulling strings upstairs to make this one happen. <laughs> the replies on this tweet like actually were heartening for me as as a Mets fan because all of the Mets fans underneath were like, don't ruin this for us. This is our night. <laughs> Although Gun Girl is like a famous Floridian, right? It, I think that she's from Florida and that was the reason that she was supporting Pete Alonso, which makes me feel really slimy. I feel like I need to pause the recording of this podcast and take a shower after rooting for the same player as Gun Girl. I is Pete Alonso from Florida? Well, he went to University of Florida. Okay, I don't know if All he's right. actually from there. I I think I think he is. I try to know less about Pete if it means that it might be a reason that I should dislike him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he uh, when he won the Derby and uh, and and you know, I mean, he obviously he announced to. Uh, that he was he's donating his money to the troops. It's like, all right, Pete, you can go back to hitting home runs now. That's that's enough out of you, buddy. <laughs> Shut up and play. <laughs> Shut up and play baseball. <laughs> all right. Well, the wheels are already coming off this podcast, and we haven't even done the formal intro yet. The wheels will truly be off this podcast, and we might need to put an end to it the day that Gun Girl is wearing a tipping pitches t-shirt. Um, we're going to get into the rest of what's gone on in the last two weeks in baseball. But before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley. And this is Tipping Pitches, the podcast that wants players to just shut up and hit home runs. Alex, my beloved Pete. Fucking Pete! He did it! He won the home run derby. The absolute boy. Pete Alonso won the home run derby, and it was the, easily the best moment of the season for Mets fans this year. Alex, take me through your home run derby watching experience. You're you're famously pro home run derby and anti all star game, as I recall it. Sure, <laughs> that's how you want to paint it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is radio, Alex. We're painting things black and white. Um. Oh my. Oh my goodness. That there were so many home runs. It was just like. Every time I looked up, they were just hitting another one. And I know it was a home run derby, but wow, there was it was just all the home runs in the world. In fact, more home runs hit by 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr. than like three teams, I think, in baseball. Oh my god, this is such a dumb stat. I saw this going around. It's fun to (laughs) say and tweet, but that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) It's batting practice. I mean, yes. (laughs) But also, I fully believe that uh, given a full season, Vladimir Guerrero could just hit more home runs than like the Giants right now. I agree. I, I mean, that's fair. So so you bring up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I guess we might as well get into it right away. If you watch the Home Run Derby, you don't need us to recap what happened. Obviously, Pete Alonso won on a weaker side of the bracket, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was forced to have a swing-off with Jock Peterson, who has kind of been lost in all of this. Like, Jock was almost as entertaining as anyone yesterday. Uh, Guerrero Jr. and uh, the Braves center fielder Ronald, Ronald Acuna included. I want to talk with you really quickly about the like semi not it wasn't a controversy but the the sort of large takeaway that it was silly that Pete Alonso won in the face of Vlad Guerrero Jr clearly stealing the show and hitting you know 40 home runs in one round in the swing off against Jack Peterson. It was it was eerily reminiscent of Josh Hamilton who previously held the record for most home runs in one round when he hit 27 in I think 2008. Josh Hamilton ended up losing that home run derby. I think he lost it to like Justin Morneau, which is the maybe the funniest thing in baseball history. Of course. But I I was a little mad online last night. And I was tweeting from yeah, the tipping pitches I account know. at like eleven PM I West know. Coast time. <laughs> <laughs> Just scrolling through and seeing people talking about how LOL Pete didn't deserve this. Like Cool, cool Mets fans, but y'all know that Pete didn't deserve to win. Let's give that trophy to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I'm like, one hour into the contest, everyone was like, this is so entertaining. This is amazing. They fixed the home run derby and it's the greatest rule change in the history of sports. I love this contest more than I love real baseball. And it's way better than the All-Star game. And we should do this 363 days a year. Everyone was so excited about it. And then when Pete wins, based on the actual rules that they changed... Everyone gets all upset. Can you explain this to me? Uh, no, you ask me to exp- explain irrational online sports fandom. Yes. I, <laughs> I regretfully cannot explain that to you. I think that a lot of people were rightfully so very caught up in the uh, magical, prodigious display of power put on by Vlad Jr. And I, I saw someone liken it and I, I I wish I could remember who tweeted this. My apologies go out to you. I know you don't listen. Uh liken it to the uh winning the popular vote versus winning the electoral college. Like a million people <laughs> made that made that comparison. Right. I think it will almost certainly be referenced as the overused Twitter joke of the week on the Ringers the Press Box podcast. Okay. Uh well I think that there was a a small subsect of a lot of those online fans who were probably genuinely yelling at Pete Alonso for no real reason and saying that that he didn't deserve it. And those are the fans that it's just kind of like, why are you listening to them anyway? <laughs> They're the ones who probably talk about like playing the game the right way and saying Jake Marisnik was right to barrel over Jonathan Lucroy earlier this uh-huh. week. And I think that the majority of baseball fans were fine even happy to see Pete Alonso win, but also uh, also very clearly understood that Vlad Jr. put on the show of the night and just for sentimental purposes or whatever it is, seeing him win um, likely would have given that sort of closure, especially um, given the show that he put on. But Pete Alonso was incredibly entertaining in his own right. He was so amped up uh, to win. And really that's, that's all I care about. As long as, as long as they're out there having fun, Vlad Jr. Gave him the biggest bear hug after he won the biggest polar bear hug uh, after he I'm won. And it, it was, was really, Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I did like to see it. That was really the fact that they were all out there kind of encouraging each other and, and hugging each other and having a blast made it as a, as a viewer, a much more, entertaining experience to watch yeah i agree with you although i will push back a little bit on the idea that the people who wanted vlad to win were all like play the game the right way people i saw a lot of people who were like 
they were closer to like, we just like Vlad better, so we wanted him to win more. Like, Vlad is our cute, adorable online baseball boyfriend who we've been yelling who should be in the majors for the last year. While all of that is true, it doesn't mean he should win the home run derby because he lost based on the rules. If you beat a team 20 to 1 in game one of the World Series and then lose the next four games 1 0, you still lose. Sorry, these are the rules. If you wanted the mano a mano style, you got the mano a mano style. And guess what? Pete won. Fucking snowflakes. They're, they're just triggered is what they are, really. This podcast like, is going in like so many weird directions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Pete, he did He did shut up and hit home runs. And then afterwards, he gave borderline but kind of endearing interviews. Um, Before we get off this home run topic, I want to talk about the idea... Um, that it's not about the home run hitters in this contest. It's more about the pitchers. And I'm I'm sort of starting to believe it. Like, it took Pete Alonzo's prodigious power to overcome bad pitching. But for the most part, like, the dudes that were hitting the most home runs were just the dudes who were getting the ball pitched where they needed it to be. Because all of these guys have, like, home run every swing power, more or less, with the exception of maybe, like, Alex Bregman, who I thought was really funny in the on the broad, in the broadcast booth afterwards, saying maybe it's time for me to retire from the home run derby if I'm going to have to be going up against these dudes for the next five years. Um, <laughs> but the whole like your pitcher is bad controversy, I find to be very unnerving because the idea that you might lose the home run derby because someone's just throwing you low and outside sliders like Matt Chapman's dad. It's just like (laughs) really sad to me. Just extremely sad. It's his father. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously the Chapman replaced Christian Yelich when Yelich just bowed out uh, of the derby just days before. And so obviously Chapman's dad was, was pitching on short rest. You could say, uh, he'd, he'd just gotten the, he'd just gotten the call up from the, uh, from the miners and, uh, and maybe his arm wasn't warmed up. Um, you know, I, I appreciate that Chapman kept it in the family. I, I really do. And I know that, that he made a, he made a promise to his dad when he was a little kid that, that he was, if he was ever in the home run derby, that, that his dad would be the one that he would turn to, to, to be out there on the field with him. But, Fuck that. It's the home run <laughs> derby. Get someone who can throw you strikes. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you're trying to win. This isn't this isn't a sentimentality contest. Okay, so far on this podcast, Pete Alonzo shut up and play baseball. Um people who wanted Vlad Guerrero Jr. are just Vlad Guerrero Jr. to win are just snowflakes who have been triggered and fuck fathers. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, weird 15 minutes to start out this show so far. No, I'm with you. I, I was like, you you can't suggest a pitching change between rounds, but for Pete, after the first round where he got maybe thrown like 20 strikes and hit 14 of them for home runs to, to advance to the next round, I was like, perhaps we should get another pitcher in there. And many people suggested perhaps they should get Edwin Diaz out there, to which I had to tip my cap and laugh, although my heart ripped in a million pieces at the, the thought of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, lo- lots, of, lots of Mets bullpen jokes last night. What's, a, what's an A's bullpen joke that we could make, make fun of? I guess it can't really be from this year because uh, they actually have a really good bullpen this year. Yeah, that it's, that it's good. Maybe we could get Tyler Clifford out there to throw some some home run derby practice oh, tosses Tyler to Matt Chapman. Clifford. <laughs> real real 2016 A's bullpen jokes. It's deep cut shit only from here on out. Okay. Do you have anything else to add about the home run derby, the the beautiful home run derby that was? Um yeah. I I don't even know if this is a hot take or not, but it really is my only real take about the home run derby that I have genuine conviction about and that I think it is the most fun, the single most fun exhibition event of a, of a sport across all of the major sports. And I don't even know if that's controversial or not because there are, I suppose, relatively few, but like yeah. in a power ranking, I'm putting the home run derby over the slam dunk contest. I don't know, man. I'm a big NBA skills competition guy. Yeah, are you? Yeah, I love when they bounce <laughs> past the ball into the net. That's I sick. like a 
<laughs> I like um I, I'm a big fan of the of the celebrity games, you know? You get to see not athletic people uh play a sport that has no bearing on your life. That's that's really enjoyable. Actually, I did like seeing J.R. Smith take his shirt off during the celebrity softball game and hit an inside the park home run. That was <laughs> that did bring me joy that I didn't know I needed in my life. Are we counting the the celebrity games as like I guess they are exhibitions. That's what you framed it as. But yeah, this the competition is pretty slim here. Like yeah. the the dunk contest is buns. I mean, they need some kind of rule change in that, I think. Yeah, what what else is there? I don't know. I don't know enough about hockey. I think there's some kind of skills competition in hockey. Who can skate the fastest and stop before hitting the wall? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're getting frisky out here. Um, it's it's almost like impressive to me. I'm impressing myself how little I know about hockey in 2019. Like I was getting lunch with a coworker the other day and uh, for a brief moment, I was like, I don't know that I can name all of the hockey teams. Do you think you could name all of the hockey teams? All of the hockey teams? Good <laughs> God, no. <laughs> Alex is like, I can name like eight. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It really is a fascinating thing to just be like completely ignorant of a of a major cultural uh, cultural phenomenon like a like a sport. That, that was like, that's like how I that's like how I felt. As a non Game of Thrones fan, yeah. I'm like, I would get on Twitter every Sunday and be like, okay, I see how I am about baseball now. I get <laughs> it, you guys. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like that all the time here when I when I hear people yelling about like the the show Euphoria. And I'm like, yeah. is this what I seem like about baseball? <laughs> the answer is absolutely 100 yes. percent yes. Unequivocally <laughs> yes. Like I was just like groaning while watching the All-Star game today, and and like my other coworkers were in the room with me, and they were like, Seems like you're having a good time watching that baseball game after like a Barrios curveball strikes out someone. I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> and everyone's like, Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm better than okay because baseball is the best sport and the only sport that matters. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't know it from your uh, verbal tics, though. That's fair. Um, all right, let's move on, Alex. Um, you mentioned that there was about a billion home runs hit in the home run derby. That might be in part because um, some people feel as though the home run derby balls are more juiced than the regular, even the regular balls are these days. And one of those people who feels that way is uh, one Justin Verlander, the ace of the Houston Astros. Um, most people probably saw this quote. I know you saw this quote. It it kind of fired me up when I saw it. Um, I'm just going to read this to you. This is about the the way that the ball is carrying this year, and uh, how MLB hasn't really made a definitive statement on it, and whether the balls are juiced or what it has to do with the drag, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole big thing that we've talked about many times on this podcast. Quote Justin Verlander: "It's a fucking joke." Major League Baseball is turning this game into a joke. They own Rawlings, and you've got Manfred up here saying it might be the way they center the pill. They own the fucking company. If any other $40 billion company bought out a $400 million company and the product changed dramatically, it's not a guess as to what happened. We all know what happened. Manfred, the first time he came in, what did he say? He said, we want more offense. All of a sudden he comes in, the balls are juiced? It's not coincidence. We're not idiots. Wow. When I saw that the first time, I got pumped because it was right from my mind to Justin Verlander's mouth. I think I've done that exact rant in a three up three down segment during this baseball season. <laughs> uh, yeah, Justin Verlander, come on tipping pitches and talk to us. Legitimately come on tipping balls. pitches. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, as an aside, you mentioned Alex Bregman before, and I think my, my favorite turn about this whole saga is that they actually tried to ask Alex Bregman about that during the home run derby. They were like, so your buddy Justin Verlander said the balls are juiced. What do you think? And he's like, uh, um, I mean, if I'm hitting home runs, they must be. (laughs) 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 And then he's like, I don't know. Similarly, his his other teammate, Carlos Correa, tweeted, uh, it's not like there are players hitting 60 60 to 70 home runs per year with the face palm emoji. So Correa is suggesting that they're not juiced because people aren't hitting 60 to 70 home runs per year, which suggests to me that Correa hasn't been doing his reading about the fact that it's not about guys hitting 
exponentially more home runs, like close to Bonds' Bonds's record. It's more about like the guys who were previously hitting 10 are now hitting 24 in a season, and that's that the long fly balls are carrying more. But I guess Carlos Correa is too busy recovering from his broken rib to really care about that, and you know, more power to him. But I want to talk to you briefly about this juice ball idea because it seems as though it's coming to a head. The rest of Verlander's quote was, he, he the follow-up question asked, asked him if he believes the ball were intentionally juiced by the league, and he said yes, 100%. They've been using juice balls in the home run derby forever. They know how to do it. It's not coincidence. I find it really hard to believe that MLB owns Rawlings and just coincidentally the balls become juiced. So I know you weren't watching the All-Star game tonight, but they asked him about this in the dugout and they referenced Rob Manfred's quote about how they're 100% definitely not juicing the balls on purpose, which bullshit. But they asked Verlander that and Verlander obviously knows that Manfred denied this claim And he said, well, that's fine. If they're not juicing it, then I guess that's great news. So we can start working together to figure out what's wrong with it, which was such a petty. I thought it was such a petty response. He had to like kind of walk his statements back because like if he doesn't stop flying off about the balls being juiced and dropping Rob Manfred's name, he's like maybe going to get suspended. Um, (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) um, in this punitive Major League Baseball world that we live in. But His response being like, oh, that's great. Well, if they're not just intentionally, then let's just try to get to the bottom of it. Let's do some research then. Because I think he's obviously suggesting that if they were to do research, they would find out that the balls are being juiced intentionally. Yeah. What a a look for your sport to have one of the, this generation's premier pitchers, like, like one of the top two pitchers of the last decade and a half or so just coming out here and name dropping the commissioner and basically saying that he's lying and that they're they're effectively covering up a fundamental change to the sport like this feels like the kind of thing that rob manfred would want to maybe get a handle on somehow and i don't mean just by saying justin verlander stop but just by coming out and acknowledging it or changing the walls back or at least doing something to indicate that he is hearing the complaints of fans and potentially players as well. Like this is like, if this isn't a PR nightmare for your sport, like what is? I mean, baseball is very familiar with PR nightmares that are even worse than this. So I think Manfred probably maybe welcomes these conversations because if at least they're talking about baseball in a way that's not like baseball is welcome to domestic abusers, you know. So or at least people are not talking about steroids, which for some reason was more of a public controversy than like Josh Hader. But that's an entirely different conversation. I think the craziest part of all this to me is that like this is legitimately like a tipping pitches like a tipping pitches harebrained lefty topic that we've been yelling about for like the last year and a half. And now, like you said, the game's premier pitcher is levying it against the commissioner by name. Like this feels like only the kind of thing that we can do because we have the blanket of obscurity (laughs) and Verlander's giving these quotes to like ESPN. Yes, exactly. The other thing is like Manfred can't really keep his story straight. So he came out like uh, a couple weeks ago and was basically like, yes, like the pill is a little bit different. It means there's less drag on the ball. Um, okay, progress. This is the first time Rob Manfred has ever even acknowledged that the balls are remotely different. And then in ESPN, it, it, ESPN, and then in ESPN, in response to Justin Verlander, he basically says there's no evidence uh, that the ball is different, and <laughs> uh, and then he says that there's a little less drag on the ball. Um, but he also says that uh, the owners don't want more home runs. And so it's like, what what game are you playing then? Yeah. Like you're basically getting yelled at from every side of this. And you're just kind of sitting there cowering, being like, I promise, guys, like it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Well, the game that he's playing is that he knows that nobody really cares what he says because he's boring. And people care more about what Justin Verlander is saying. So if he changes his story, it doesn't really matter. 
because he knows that he's never been held accountable for this topic specifically. And he knows that other commissioners aren't really held accountable for flaws within their sport as long as their owners are happy. Like, Roger Goodell has bumbled his way through public opinion for the last five years, but he still makes $50 million a year because Jerry Jones knows that he's going to do what Jerry Jones wants him to do when the players start kneeling. Like, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with whether Manfred is lying or not or whether he's keeping his story straight. And I think that's the most annoying part of this for me when I've yelled about this in the past is that the fundamental core of this game is changing and we're just being gaslit into believing that it's not changing in front of us because Manfred is just like shrugging. Like he's not even bothering doing more than shrugging. He's not even presenting counter evidence. Meanwhile, you have writers like Ben Lindbergh and Mitchell Lickman who are basically proving this that since 2014, halfway through 15. the year, 15, 2015, yeah. halfway through the year, the ball is just demonstrably different and there's no other way to explain it other than the ball. Like, I don't think that like Josh Donaldson swinging a little bit upward changed every other swing in the entire league in the course of like, I don't know, four hours. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously like there are probably a multitude of factors that go into this sort of thing. But the fact that the ball is literally just leaving the bat faster like that alone is proof that something's different. And this isn't even the first time that Verlander has come out and said this sort of thing. He had some tweets last year that suggested just that, that exit velocities are like, are higher than they've ever been. And clearly, you know, he, it's like, it's like just a little thinking emoji thing, right? It's like, what, what's going on here? Hmm. Um, yeah. I think it was an incredible flex, an incredibly smart and savvy move to point out that Major League Baseball owns the means of production for this sort Unbelievable. of thing. Um, I, that's like something I never even considered. Right. Now, now it's worth pointing out that that's only true as of like last year, I think. So it doesn't, so it, it, the timeline doesn't necessarily coincide with like the change in the ball, but you could also just as easily convince me that MLB just went to Rawlings before they owned Rawlings and said, hey, do this for us. And Rawlings said, okay. So, well, like MLB is the customer. Of course, Rawlings is going to do what they want. Who's who buys more baseballs from Rawlings than MLB? Yeah. I, and it's like, if you are, if you're literally in charge of the company that produces these things, like, how are you not going to know what's going on <laughs> with the balls? Like how clue. And I know that you're, you know, you're saying that like no one really cares about Manfred because he's boring and, and no one's really paying attention to him. But this makes you look so ridiculous that he's basically coming out and being like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a, you got me there. Skip, I don't know what's going on with, with the baseball. It's literally, it's literally the object that the sport is named after, but I don't really know <laughs> what's going on. What percentage? What percentage of baseball fans do you think are out there in the world, in the ether, in ballparks, at home, watching in front of their TV? They're not necessarily on Twitter. They're not necessarily talking about it. I want you to try to like try to like block out all of the like consensus that you see on this exact topic on Twitter that we have that other like writers who read and write about these things on the internet have. Just baseball fans in general. How many people do you think it's 100% the ball? And how many do you, people do you think Wow, back in my day, pitchers could just get outs. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think it's there's probably a sizable portion of fans who feel that way. Although, honestly, I kind of feel like the majority of fans, maybe not the majority of fans, um, but a plurality of fans, I guess, believe that it has to do with like launch angle and swing change because that's been like the prevailing narrative over the last two or three years. Right. And it's, and MLB hasn't helped that with, with things like StatCast that basically revolve around these nebulous concepts of launch angle and exit velocity. And there's all the stories coming out about how Justin Turner tweaked his swing and, uh, and Josh Donaldson tweaked his swing. And it's, 
a narrative that is carried by broadcasters. It's a narrative that's carried by, uh, by journalists. Um, and so I think that a lot of fans just hear that and they're like, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I would, you know, maybe just 20% of baseball fans of older baseball fans who are just like, ah, Pitchers used to go 12 innings until their <laughs> arm was literally bleeding and throw 171 pitches while smoking a cigarette. And that was a, a better time for the game. But, uh, but you know, those, those people are slowly going away as they, uh, I don't know, die. <laughs> <laughs> Took a morbid turn. That's <laughs> uh, maybe a little dark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. Uh, I guess I'm just curious because I do see a lot of stories that are like, I do see a lot of like MLB network talk, like is the ball juiced? Like probably equally as much as I see like swing plane revolution stuff. I think just like initially when this happened, people just didn't really know about the ball right away. Like that was like more of like an internet corner. Whereas like swing change was being discussed a lot because you saw guys like Justin Turner go from being a fringe Mets prospect to being one of the best defensive or one of the best third basemen in the entire league. And he was crediting a lot of it to swing change. I I guess, I don't know. Like I saw Colin Cowherd go the other way today saying that the, the juiced ball is a lazy explanation and that the real reason is that players are embracing analytics and they know their swings better and they know, they know, the value of a swing plane change tweak and they know the value of their hotspots and that kind of thing, like that line of thinking. And obviously all of that is extremely important. I just think that we're not like people are not talking enough about how that doesn't even begin to explain half of the home run search that we're seeing. And Rob Manfred is one of those people who's just kind of like shrugging his way through all of it. And that's why I'm much more inclined to believe someone like Justin Verlander, who has pitched against every kind of hitter, home run hitters, power guys, contact guys, terrible hitters. He's seen it all. He's been there here through several different iterations of the game that we love. And he's been several different iterations of himself. And right now he's probably the best version of himself. And I feel like he should know whether his pitches are getting hit out or whether they deserve to be. And it sort of seems like he's lost in the wilderness with it right now. And who am I to tell Justin Verlander that he doesn't know whether his balls are getting squared up? I'm just like, we're like two or three years into juiced ball discourse. And oh my God, I'm so tired of it. Like seriously, I I just want Manfred to come out and acknowledge it. I don't, I don't, you could say, yeah, you fucking rubes, the ball's juiced. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> I and wish I, he would. And I he, wish he would. I really wish he would. I, because like, we, you know, there, you could have a much longer conversation and we have, and we probably could right now about like whether home runs are even something that fans want to see in the game right now. But like, at the very least, don't make it like a question of skill or anything like that. And because that's what's, I think, most frustrating to me is it's like there's this little asterisk placed next to the last three or four years of the game in everyone being like, yeah, we kind of didn't really know what the fuck was going on then. And it's the same thing that happens when you look at uh, the early 2000s. However you feel about steroids, it's just kind of like there's always this like question mark that like people bring up it's like oh well like was he juicing like you know he was on a team with Barry Bonds or he was on a team with Mark McGuire or whatever and you may not give a shit about it at all but it's always just going to be referenced as this thing that was going on at the time and so like like how legitimate was was everything and and that feels like the more harmful impact that this is going to have if Rob Manfred and the league at large doesn't get some sort of handle on it. I couldn't agree more. Pitchers are not bad. There's yeah. no other explanation for all of this. In I, fact, I don't they're better than ever. Way better than ever. And that's gonna. I'm going to bring that up a little bit later in our three up, three down segment. Before we get to that, and before we take a quick break, last thing in this segment that turned out to be a lot longer and a lot rantier than I was expecting, 
Um, the last piece of news regarding our man's and Justin Verlander's man's Rob Manfred is uh, he came out in favor of like like formally in favor of the three batter minimum and said that he would push for it in the next collective bargaining agreement. Do you have thoughts on Manfred being explicitly in favor of the three batter minimum while selectively not addressing other issues that people are trying to bring up? Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, you could say it's like tampering or whatever. And he like, shouldn't be doing that but that applies to so much of the stuff that just goes on in this sport that the commissioner basically just opening openly advocating for a rule change that isn't necessarily agreed upon by the rest (laughs) of the sport just feels like a footnote to everything else (laughs) what a world we live in it's a seriously weird world that we're living in i wonder what gun girl thinks about the juiced ball and the three batter minimum. I hope we never have to find out. Um, All right. Don't Don't put that thought out into the world. Um, Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, three up, three down. Alex, we're back. You're writing down your third three up, three down as I speak, because as you told me before we started recording, I haven't watched baseball in the last week and neither have I. But because of that, my three up, three down is heavily influenced by the all-star game. Um, And that's fine because it's, it only happens once a year and we haven't talked that much about it in this podcast, despite the fact that it ended as we started recording this podcast. So before we get into our three up, three down, um, or before we get into our actual three ups, um, why don't you go ahead and start me off with what three things are coming off your list this week? All right, off my list this week, um, Andrew McCutcheon on social media because I haven't been on social media, and uh, and also just go off. There are other we stand things. There, a, a healthy <laughs> li- lifestyle of less social media. King, yeah. <laughs> oh, if only that were true. Um, <laughs> next off my list. Uh, the A's prospects, Jesus Lizardo and AJ Puck. Obviously, they're oh, still no. within my heart, but Jesus Lizardo is out maybe through August. And I dropped him off my fantasy team before he ever even got there. Oh, don't. I just don't. I don't even want to hear that. I don't even want to record the rest of this podcast. I'm just sad now. Um, anyway, uh, the last thing off my list is, uh, is Albert Pujols' return to St. Louis, which feels like ages ago. I forgot that happened. Remember Albert Pujols? Because I don't. Albert Pujols, king. Okay, three things off my list. I think this was still on my list. If not, someone call me out for it, and I'll tell you what what I'll actually take off my list. Noah Syndergaard's K per nine. Uh, I dropped that on there a couple weeks ago because... uh, I don't know. It felt weird that his caper nine was down and I was a little anxious about it. So I needed you to be my on air therapist for that. But that's coming off my list this week because, um, I don't know. The list was full. Uh, second thing <laughs> announcers on their racist BS. And I'm going to do the obligatory caveat that I'm not dropping <laughs> off this off this list because I don't care about it anymore. I'm dropping it off this list because. It's been a little while since I've heard an announcer say a racist thing, and I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that it doesn't come on my list next week and make me look silly. Uh, third thing off my list, the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers lineup. That was on my list. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to kick us off with what's coming onto my list this week. And like I said, it's going to be heavily influ- influenced by the All-Star game. I just got finished watching it before we started recording this podcast. And um, the thing that is coming onto my list is miking up players on the field. And I realize that this is a thing that has been more or less talked into the ground as one of the best things maybe in baseball, but almost definitely about the All-Star game is miking up the players and and taking a little bit of the airtime away from Joe Buck and John Smoltz, who longtime listeners of this podcast will know that you and I are not the largest fans of. 
Um, but that's not, I mean, everybody knows that. Everybody knows why it's good. Everybody knows that it is good. If you don't feel that way, I don't really know how or why you're listening to this podcast. But I wanted to throw it on this list um, kind of in light of a lot of serious news that's happened in baseball in the last two weeks since you and I have talked. And largest the largest thing with that being the passing of Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs. We haven't gotten a chance to talk since that happened. Um, it's truly unbelievably tragic um, and unbelievably sad for the larger baseball community, for the Angels, specifically, obviously, for Tyler Skaggs' family. Um, and watching this All-Star game, I was struck by kind of the emotional highs and lows for me watching the game with obviously a beautiful tribute to start to start the evening with a moment of silence for Skaggs and for the game's best player, its most forward-facing star, Mike Trout, wearing Skaggs' number, number 45, as well as wearing the 45 patch on his jersey in honor of his late friend. Um, and that kind of being contrasted with some of the glee, some of the joy of baseball, and all of those things sort of blending together to sort of be what I thought was a really emotional night in a sport where a lot of the times you don't get a chance to show these types of emotions on the field. So so this is sort of a weird thing to pair together, kind of like this glee of talking to players on the field um, and these kind of like visceral moments where guys are talking to each other and talking to the announcers and and just playing the game they love um, in conjunction with one of the most sad stories in baseball in a really long time. But I just thought it goes to show we don't always need to take this game so incredibly seriously because there are really serious things in the world and even in the baseball world that warrant much stronger emotions rather than the actual game. So I don't know. It was just sort of a weird concoction of emotions for me watching this. And then uh, on top of all of that, you have Carlos Carrasco who was present at the game who announced in the last week or two that he uh, has been diagnosed with leukemia and is battling that. And he has his teammates on the field with him, supporting him. So I don't know. I thought the moments of brevity with the mics on the field, they took a lot of the pressure off of some of the more sad things that have happened over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think that these last two weeks of baseball or so, and especially this all-star break have been a, um, a testament to the ability of a lot of these players to really kind of hold each other up and support each other. And I don't know a single one of them. I likely never will. I won't pretend to. Um, but even just from what I could see from a, a fan's perspective, the fact that it feels like there has been a, a collective grief shared that is not just, um, it's not just a burden that shoulder, shouldered by Skaggs's family, um, or by Carrasco and his family. Um, the fact that the entire sport is able to come together, fans and players, um, to actually, um, mourn or celebrate whatever it is, uh, is I think a testament to what baseball has been and what it could be. Um, and that's something that's way bigger than a, a juiced ball, um, or, or home runs or, or anything like that. Those things are, are icing on the cake for something that, uh, feels, I don't know, a lot, uh, bigger sometimes. Uh, it feels like it's the, the underlying fabric of the sport is its ability to, to bring people together. And it's not always great at that, but, Moments like these, like you were saying, whether it's miking players up on the field and and showing them actually letting loose and have fun um, as human beings, you as know? as human beings, or or being allowed to have somber moments and and express their sadness, uh, it makes me obviously incredibly sad, but also um, at least hopeful for uh, for the future of the sport. Yeah, I think something that you and I talk about and something that we've specifically talked about with miking players in the past is the ability to feel human moments. And in the past, those moments have mostly been funny. And tonight, a lot of them were really funny too, right? But 
in the same night that a lot of those human moments were extremely sad and and grieving and mournful, um, I, I just think it's important to kind of talk about the idea that baseball has the ability to do that. And when it is doing that, it is best as a community. I uh, could not have said it better myself. All right, Alex, what are you adding to your the first thing on your list? I hope it's not as emotional as my first one because I'm like a little bit choked up over here. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I suppose uh, uh, no no better way to to bounce back from something like that than to uh, than to just bring it right back to our wheelhouse. This is something that's been that's been on my mind the last couple of weeks, and I. Uh, I talked about it with you briefly, um, but that is one Adam Eaton who currently plays for the Washington Nationals. Uh, he had a quote in the Washington City paper recently. There was a little, there was a, there was a profile of, uh, of some minor league players in the national system. And, and Adam Eaton was quoted in, uh, in said piece about the, minor league lifestyle and and his kind of take on on minor league pay and how they're treated when they're down there and oh i've really boy. been yearning for adam eaton's take on minor league pay oh i bet you have because he did wake up every morning and i'm like geez he, minor leaguers can't eat but what does adam eaton think <laughs> adam eaton thinks that's a good thing adam eaton <laughs> thinks that that's motivating uh, a little struggle never killed nobody. That is quite literally what he said. He said he thinks they should make a little more money so that they're, quote, literally not eating crumbs. Um, but he also says, if I financially am supported down there and financially can make a living and not have to get to the big leagues, I think I'm a little more comfortable. I might not work as hard because I know I'm getting a decent paycheck every two weeks and may not push myself nearly as hard. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I don't disagree with the notion that they're being exploited, but I think it's for the betterment of everybody. And to that, I can only say, you motherfucking scab. Oh, Adam get him. Oh, boy. What? Get him. <laughs> uh, Adam, come on. This is, I think if we were trying to parody like sports talk radio and the exploitation of minor leagues, we probably couldn't have done a better job than Adam Eaton just did right here. So hats off to him, at least. No, I mean, I mean, obviously there are like very grandiose ideas about American capitalism and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and the American dream and all that in in this quote. But aside from all of that, it's just like factually untrue. Like if you look, there there are a lot of studies that have been done that have proven that uh, financially advantaged baseball players have made it further. So what he's saying isn't even logical. He's just saying it based on like some idea that was brandished on his brain when he took his first high school economics class. Like, yeah. it doesn't even make sense. Let alone, aside from the fact that you're actively trying to undermine a membership that you are a part of, a union membership that you are a part of, although I know that minor leaguers are not members of the union which is extremely fucked up but the other players that you play with and you had to go through the minor league system so you're basically spitting towards that experience that those people have had in their life aside from all of that it's just not true so adam eaton i don't i don't even know what to say to you <laughs> we don't need to say I, anything more about adam eaton you don't need to sl- we don't need to slander him more <laughs> <laughs> slander him this is everything we're saying is factually true really you're right Okay, I'm going to move us on before you start calling out like Adam Eaton to come like box you in like Times Square or something. Um, <laughs> the second thing on my list is baseball bromances. Uh, I love them. They were on display this week for All-Star Week. Uh, you have something like Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil. You have Javi Baez and like every other player on the field like Francisco Lindor and Jose Barrios. Like there was a really great moment during the all-star game where Javi came up against Barrios. And I think he only saw one pitch, but he swung as he does out of his shoes at it. And he popped it up. And before the camera cut to the fly ball, um, it lingered on the batter pitcher shot for a little bit longer. And 
Javi immediately yelled because he was mad at himself for popping it up. And Barrios immediately like threw up his arms in success. And they were like staring at each other as Javi started to jog down the first baseline. And I'm just like, that's the good shit right there, man. That's the cream of the crop. Bottle that up and sell it. Like I need more of that in my life. Um, I love these baseball bromances so much. And and maybe maybe this even qualifies as a baseball bromance, the thing that you added to your list. Maybe it's like Adam Eaton and Suffering for poor people. <laughs> That's the latest baseball bromance. Adam Eaton and Suffering for poor people. Goodness gracious. I mean, he made his bed. He might as well lie in it, you know? Um, yeah, give me all the baseball bromances in the world. What do you think is like the best baseball bromance of well all time is probably a little too much but like of the 2000s uh god i mean that's a it's a really hard question because i i don't feel like i'm an authority on this like i don't know the teams all the teams well enough like i haven't been following baseball this closely as for this entire decade all right we'll we'll narrow it down the first one that comes to mind the first one that comes to mind before we narrow it down is Adrian Beltre and Elvis Andrews. Yeah, true. I I I ship them one hundred percent. Is there an A's one that pops to your mind real quick? The th- I think my I think the best bromances are really the ones that cross team lines because, as like we were saying literally just earlier in this segment, the fact that these players are able to kind of um, shed the the facade of this being like a sport where you like keep your head down and you're just, you know, uh, keep grinding away and actually just like show that they like each other as human beings is really, that's, those are my favorite moments. Like seeing, uh, seeing Manny Machado throw out Mike Trout on a ridiculous play and then Trout smile over at him and Machado have the, the little sly grin of a, of a little Love boy who just feels like he's been caught. And I've watched that like four bajillion times because yeah. it just makes me happy inside. Or even more recently, uh, at the, during the home run derby when Vlad Jr. was being interviewed, um, you just had Mike Trout in the background, just kind of grinning <laughs> and, and staring at him. <laughs> and I'm like, same, same Mike Trout. I like how Mike Trout is so good at baseball that he's like a kingmaker. Like Mike Trout is the baseball god. And if he smiles at you, then that means you're a king, more or less. Like if he blesses you with his admiration and appreciation, then you're just like royalty, more or less. And I mean, I know Vladdy has been baseball royalty basically since he was like 12 because of his father. But I appreciate that little dynamic that's going on. And that's been sort of circulating on Twitter recently is that like, if Mike Trout looks at you that way, then like, damn, you're there. You made it. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Big facts. (laughs) All right. What's number two for you? Number two on my list is, uh, is Jeff McNeil all-star and hot dog eating contest judge question mark. (laughs) The, uh, the uh, famous, Hot dog eating contest, Nathan's hot dog eating contest, which you went to, which did you I not? I did go to. I did attend that. Uh, that was on Fourth of July, obviously. Did it for America. Go did it for Joey Chestnut. Go America. Um, oh yeah, our boy Joey pulled out the victory, obviously. And who else was there but Jeff Mc one Jeff McNeil, uh, utility player for the New York Mets, extremely good utility player for the New York Mets. And he was, he was right there in the front row in his judge's uniform. I do not know how you get to be a judge for the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, but now I very much want to apply. Um, something to, I, what, what sort of <laughs> Feels skill? Like we have to make a lot of uh, retroactive edits on things that we've said about this country in order to be put on stage at such a patriotic event. <laughs> <laughs> What sort of skill do you think that requires? You know, like it takes a lot of, I guess it takes a lot of concentration, which Jeff McNeil probably has. Maybe some, maybe some quick reflexes too. Um, you got to be able to, to juggle multiple things at once, maybe an ability to, to multitask. I guess he's a utility guy, so he can do that sort of thing. Wait, I'm a little bit confused. I wasn't boots on the ground reporting like you were, so I'm going to need you to explain this to me. What exactly does a judge do 
in the hot dog eating contest? Like they just eat the hot dogs. It's not like the judge is like nine out of ten. He ate the hot dog well. <laughs> um, I just I believe they're the ones they who count? are who are counting and making sure that all the hot dogs are are being devoured properly. Isn't that what they have TV cameras for? They don't have people in Secaucus counting it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like 20 people on stage eating hot dogs. I don't know, man. All I know is I feel like I got weird money on Jeff McNeil being able to win a Mets hot dog eating contest. Yeah, I was just I was just about to say, I who would you draft for your for your fantasy hot dog eating contest team? Jeff McNeil really has to be up there. That feels like a like a weird thing that he would be very um prolific at. He has that like used to eat three hot dogs for dinner when he was a kid energy, you know? Yeah. I don't know what it is about him. I think it's probably just like his face. <laughs> but um <laughs> I don't know. McNeil is up there. Honestly, I mean my man Pete could probably throw shit back, but I don't for some reason I don't know that he could really like beat McNeil. He doesn't have the like agility for it. He just has like pure strength. Yeah. Pete would probably drink anyone in baseball under the table. Yeah, true. Uh, this is a I'm, hard I'm, question. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about, I'm thinking about the skill it requires to eat, um, you know, 70 hot dogs in 10 minutes. I'm kind of thinking like, like maybe Aaron judge, like he's got the, he's got the jawline, the, the chiseled, like muscly oh, like jawline that about, it like, takes chewing to, strength. to, yeah, chewing strength or just physically open and close your mouth that often. Also, he's taller. So maybe there's just, more room in there. I don't know how the human body works, but I that but, feels I like mean, a good guess. Aaron Judge, s- similar to Giancarlo Stanton, those guys are built like they haven't had a carb since like 2011. So I don't know how they would handle the bun. Yeah, that's that's that'd be a tough look. You think they could ask for a a, a no carb bun? No, I think that's the hardest part of it is dipping the bun in the water. A lot of hot dog eating analysis so far on this podcast. I, I here's my here's my final money. If it's not if I'm not allowed to pick Jeff McNeil because I'm not allowed to be a homer, I got money on the Heartland's very own Whitmerryfield. How about that? Out of left field. <laughs> Completely out of left field. Sure. I don't know how you back Actually that up, out of center sure. field. Oh uh, wow. Okay. What's <laughs> what's your last one, Bobby? <laughs> oh God. My last one is um this dovetails nicely with the juiced ball conversation with Justin Verlander. My last one is pitcher dominance. Um, and the idea that pitchers are only going to get more and more dominant. And the prevailing question with that is what do we do about it? Where do we go from here? Um, I'm watching the all-star game and these are lineups made of the best hitters in baseball, the absolute dudes that have just completely raked and who are almost impossible to get out in game 47 of 162 and these lineups are literally stacked full of those dudes one through nine and do you know how many pitchers i watch make these guys look like idiots in the all-star game like jose barrios got ronald acuna to swing through two straight curveballs that were that i don't know that anybody in the world could have hit them and he threw them in the exact same spot and acuna swung on back-to-back pitches jacob Degrom set down the side of george springer DJ LeMayhew, who's hitting like 340, and the greatest baseball player of all time, Mike Trout, in seven pitches. And you can have all this conversation about the explosion of offense, the explosion of home runs, but pitchers are going to keep adjusting. That is the cycle of baseball. It always has been, and for my money, it always will be. And I don't necessarily think like moving the mound back is the catch-all for all of this, because a guy like Barrios, whose curveball is in the mid-80s and it's dropping like a foot and a half at the last second. If you move the mound back, it's just going to drop more. It's just going to move more. Um, you know, guys like Kyle Bodia at Fangraphs have talked about that and how moving the mound back won't necessarily fix stuff. And it'll also cause a lot of injury concern. So, I don't know, man. We don't need to have a really long conversation about this because we've already had a long conversation about, you know, how pitchers are better than ever and the juice ball is contributing to the home run and whatnot. But... It's just this prevailing thought that I've been having over the last week that's kind of evolved from that that point that I made about Noah Syndergaard. And I don't know. It's I think it's going to be one of the biggest, hardest questions to answer about baseball in the next 10 years or so. And also, I think like Rob Manfred's already clearly trying to answer it by juicing the balls. But that's just me speculating, you know? I'm I'm interested to see how this conversation plays out in the public eye. 
Yeah, I someone asked me today, um, just kind of like what I like what I think about the like the the home run rate and and rising strikeouts and like the change in the game and and he said that he was like you know he was like really just like not a fan of it and i was like you know as someone who's like steeped in this every single day i think it's so hard to kind of like gain some perspective on like the the overarching trend of things and things are absolutely changing like if you don't watch baseball very much or you only drop in a couple times a year every year like it might feel a little weird you might be like this is absolutely not the game that i watched seven or eight years ago um i i don't think it's going to break itself because baseball has been around for 150 years and it always adjusts and sometimes that's like literal adjustments that have to be made like by the league and sometimes it's just like people learn how to get better the hitters learn the the hitters adjust to the pitchers and vice versa so it feels like one of those things where people really want to like jump on it and and, like get on top of it and be like okay we have to like nip this in the bud before it goes any further but it's like this the game itself is like fine Like there are still winners and losers and good players and bad players. And at the end of the day, like we're all pretty happy about things are are turning out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Your point about how much the game has changed in the last seven or eight years, if you just pop in is a really salient one because I was watching like a few months ago, I was watching the 2011 world series, which I talked about on this podcast. And I mean, they were putting up the like heat graphic on the miles per hour at like, you know how they put like the flames across it on Fox or whatever when you like throw a certain speed. They're putting that shit up for like 93 to 95. I mean, I'm watching the All-Star game and like 70% of dudes are touching 98. You know, Jacob deGrom is throwing a rising four-seamer at 99 and then throwing a slider at 90, like a foot and a half outside, like one pitch later. So yeah, I do think that that is one of the most drastic changes in baseball in the last seven or eight years. And I don't know. I'm sort of starting to be sympathetic to the idea that if you tried to pick up baseball again from when you were a fan of it a decade ago, that it would be a lot of a culture shock for you. That you maybe would not like how often the ball is leaving the park. That you maybe wouldn't like the idea that people just get on base from time to time and never run. Like that was another thing that I was thinking while I just finished reading Moneyball. The idea that that team contributed so much to the death of the stolen base, which is something that I love. And I, it's hard for me to reckon with the idea that like intellectualism is obviously very good for teams in getting better. And I want my team to be intellectual, but it also might have unintended consequences about how the game looks aesthetically. Yeah. I am. I'm sure we will all wait with bated breath uh, for what Rob Manfred has to say about this. (laughs) The answer is nothing. Okay. Your final thing. The last thing on my list. If you if you don't like uh like dumb goofy baseball stuff, then I I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but I especially don't know why you'd listen to me uh, uh say my last three of three down because it is absolutely meaningless to the rest of the sport, but um but you know, it's the little things that put a smile on your face that uh that are the reason that we do noted segment three up, three down. Um, this was a couple weeks ago uh, at this point, And yet I'm still, I'm still thinking about it. The Grand Junction Rockies, minor league affiliate of the Colorado Rockies, uh, on, on one normal, normal Thursday. It was just a, a normal Thursday, like any other week. And the team goes out and tweets a, a now notorious three sentences. They say, the GJ Rockies are not considering changing their name and never have. We are owned by a group led by the Colorado Rockies and having a team on the West Slope helps build a brand. Suggesting we would be called the GJ Chubbs is offensive (laughs) and a slang sexual term for erection. And then they go on and say that the uh, the the GJ Rockies pride ourselves on providing fun family and entertainment, 
and suggesting inappropriate name changes will not be tolerated. Anyone who continues to suggest the GJ Chubbs in any way will be blocked. You're having a really hard time getting through this. account. I know I am. And that's just because I can't say the name GJ Chubbs enough. And I just needed an afternoon. Just have one afternoon. Just give me one afternoon where we pondered what could have been the the Grand Junction Chubbs. That's all I needed in my life. The premise of this segment is that it's supposed to be the nine things that we are thinking about most in baseball. And you just added a segment about the Grand Junction Chubbs. That's yep. that's one of the nine things you're thinking of the most? Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to open a can of worms on I don't want to open a can of worms on questioning what each other are adding to our list because it's not like I'm exactly batting a thousand for important <laughs> things that I'm adding to my list over here, but I I I was thinking about this and I will tell you why. And that's because this sport is incredibly cruel and oftentimes really depressing and sometimes just outright sad like many other things in the world. And (laughs) we have so many conversations on this podcast about where the game is going and the culture that's changing. And I think that they are important ones to have and we will continue to have them every single week. But sometimes I think you need to just sit back and laugh and, and consider the prospect of having a, a Chubbs baseball team name, or even do, don't even consider that. Just consider the fact that someone had to send out that tweet. There was some overworked intern who was like, are you fucking serious right now? You're going to make me address this? Boy, oh boy. Okay. That, we just need to just be, we need to end the segment right there. No Tim Tebow update this week. Uh, perhaps a Tim Tebow update around this time next year? Question mark? Tim Tebow? 2020 All-Star? Wow. Anybody? Uh, no, probably not. Um, if this podcast went off the rails at the end a little bit, it's because it's 1 a.m. right now for Alex Baisley. And uh, it's been a long week for me as well, getting back from, from my vacation in the Georgian mountains. Um, however, we hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, we would very much appreciate a five-star rating in the Apple Podcasts app, if you feel so inclined. Or just listen and tell your friends about it. Uh, Alex, do you have any other fun dick humor to share with the people before we get out of here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thankfully, no. Just... Just, just enjoy baseball, guys. Hug your, hug your family. Hug your friends. Sure. Yep. Go watch some, go watch some dingers and dongs and and whatever, uh-huh. whatever else you need. <laughs> the official tipping pitches motto: Go watch some dingers and dongs and whatever else you need. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week. This is really just our wheelhouse. Like Rob Manfred should make bumbling comments every week. I know. This is good. We've been funny, at least. (laughs) I'm going to put that at the end. (laughs) 